Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Welcome to On Fire with Jeff Probst. That's me, and this is the only podcast that takes you inside the making of Survivor from the producer's point of view. I'm the host and showrunner of Survivor, and each week I'm joined by two other television producers, Brittany Crapper, who is a supervising producer on Survivor. Hello, hello. Hello, and Jay Wolf, an independent TV producer and the producer of this podcast. Hey there. All right, today our featured topic is Survivor post-production. Post-production is the editing process of any show or movie. And it's one of the most important aspects of storytelling because this is where the story is formed. So what is the story of this episode and how does the story of the episode relate to the story of the season? That's what's decided in post-production. I will brag and say we do have a tremendous team of editors. Brittany, am I, am I wrong? Oh, yeah. Best of the best, I'd say. I mean, I'm, I could be just being flattered by other editors, but I do <laughs> run into people who work on other shows and they say, oh yeah, everybody knows that the Survivor post-production team is really, you know, really good. Yeah, no, we're really lucky to have such great editors. Well, we have one of them with us today. Dave Armstrong is joining us. He's one of our Survivor editors, and we're going to attempt to break down how an episode comes together and specifically how point of view impacts the way every single scene is constructed and how that impacts how it is received by the audience. It's a big endeavor, but this, this is on fire. This is what we do. We, we take <laughs> risks and we try things. Plus your questions and one lucky fan gets to tell me why I suck. But first, Jay, let's get inside episode eight of Survivor 44. Tell me one thing that stood out to you. Well, we're coming off of episode seven's extremely emotional tribal council, and mm. we sort of picked up right where we left off 
we're watching Franny experience the feeling of losing Matt. And mm. the editing and the storytelling really put us right in her shoes. First of all, I miss Matt. I, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, yes, I feel bad. And you can see this look on Franny's face and you realize she's thinking, oh man, I'm alone out here mm. again. Oh, yeah. mm. It's heartbreaking, but I think really it just highlights like how lonely Survivor can be. Ultimately, you know, this is a game about betrayal and trust and you're in this alone. Every once in a while, of course, we see these like deep connections like Franny and Matt have. But at the end of the day, you really only have yourself to rely on. Yeah, you say that it doesn't happen that much, but actually we end up seeing it a lot last season with Jesse and Cody or in Kageya with Wu and Tony, these partnerships that form that you think you're not allowed to make friends out here and yet you have your best friend who you would bring to the finals. Jay, it's such a good point because it speaks to the format. You're forced to rely on each other to survive while voting each other out. So it's inevitable that when it's a bad storm or a losing streak, whatever it is, that bond is going to happen. And then the dilemma becomes, what do you do? Do you stay with that bond or do you ultimately have to betray that bond like Jesse and Cody? There's no right answer. That's the game. And the group of players decide how it is played. Like example with Franny and Matt, Franny's very sad. Kane and Brandon, very happy. They pulled off a big move. They broke up a power alliance, and now they're over there celebrating. We could have told the story from their point of view and said, let's focus on the big gameplay. But we decided it's more interesting right now to show the heartbreak of Mm -hmm. losing your partner. And we still show the same facts. Kane and Brandon are still very happy. But Survivor is a zero-sum game. There is one winner, and that means that my success is dependent on your failure. Kane and Brandon happy, Franny sad. We also saw Carson get sick, which was a reminder to me that that's just another form of loneliness that occurs right. out there. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, this game takes a tremendous toll on the body. You can't just, like, crawl into bed and call your friend and say, hey, <laughs> I need some chicken noodle soup. Brittany, like you what is that like when you're on the beach mm. as a producer and you're watching this... And the human in you wants to go say, hey, Carson, can I give you a hand? But you can't. No, no, that's really hard. I mean, it is it's in my nature to want to take care of people. But, you know, they're they're playing their game. And sadly, that's a part of the game. And they've got to, you know, we've got to let it run its course. Of course, we have doctors there if it gets really bad and we think they need a check in. But no, I I can't go hold his hair back while he vomits. Well, (laughs) and the interesting thing about that is, is he injured prey? that should be helped and brought back to life? Or is he injured prey that you should go suffocate and let die? Because Mm. that is the game. I'm sure there are players over there whose hearts are bleeding, but they're also going, oh, if Carson gets sick and he's out, that's one less person I have to beat. That's the part of the game. And it's why it's complicated because everybody has empathy for Carson, but also everybody's going, oh, he's going to suck at the next challenge. And then that's what happens. We get into a format twist and now you have to pick partners. By the way, what do you think of this newer era thing where we're forcing them, you know, sometimes to pick pairs? For me, what stands out is that they're at the beach. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know, am Mm. I going to be running the challenge with this person or am I going to be running the challenge Mm. against this person? Right. And yet you're forced to choose. And we saw Carolyn choose Carson and possibly sacrifice her game because, again, she is... The mom, she's digging through the poop. She's standing next to Carson at the challenge and doing her best. It was pretty remarkable to me when I saw the reality, because I didn't know how that all went down. 
how quickly she said, I'll run with you. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Knowing they're almost certainly not going to win whatever they're going to have to do. She didn't seem to care. Right. I mean, I think that that just, again, speaks to human nature, right? Like, yes, this is a game for a million dollars, but Carolyn has a heart and Mm -hmm. deep down she cares about Carson. You know, they've been in the weeds together now since day one almost. And that challenge, by the way, cut by Dave Armstrong, who's going to be here in a moment. If you don't remember this moment and you're really nerding out on this stuff, There's a moment at the end of the second stage. So you have pairs and they drop out. You get to the end and we have two pairs who have moved on to the final. But what happens at that point is they're no longer pairs. They're now individuals. And what Dave did in the editing was while we were ending that second stage, he goes to boom, slow motion shot of four faces telling you, oh, now it's a showdown. It's a tiny little editing moment, but emotionally it transitions you into now it's four individuals. And if you've been listening to this podcast, I think all of us at home are saying, Scott Duncan shot. (laughs) (laughs) Most likely, yes. Uh, The last thing I wanted to bring up was the gameplay after the challenge. Um, Mostly because, again, I want to point out that I was right about Danny and that he is, in fact, (laughs) little baby Tony out there pulling such a huge move. Yeah. I mean, that is a big move. And it illustrates what we've said many times. Great players and a decent game design equal great seasons. And this is a great season. I think fans think it's a great season, and it's because we have great players who came to play the game. Right, yeah, and this is the kind of move now with the jury, like Danny's building his resume, and that could be worth a million dollars. 100%. That was a flashy (laughs) bravado to play it for somebody else, and you could echo back now to episode one, when Brandon made the decision to share the news of the idol, thus Mm. making the idol more of a target, and then he ended up having to play it, you could say, from the comfort of your couch, (laughs) what would have happened if he had taken a different decision and tried to team up with Maddie? We won't know, because in the moment, Brandon did what he thought was the right move in that moment, and that's how you have to play the game, because in order to get to the next moment, you got to survive this moment. All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we are into our featured topic, Survivor, post-production. We are back. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. 
Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash survivor to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com survivor. Ah, welcome back to On Fire with Jeff Probst. Okay, let's get into it. Our featured topic, post-production. I'm going to say up front, Jay and Brittany, I think this is a big thing we're endeavoring to do to explain the post-production process of what is a visual medium mm. without any pictures. But this is this is why we're doing the podcast. This is what we do on Survivor. We try things. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Bring on the challenge. I'm optimistic. Okay, so cool. let's let's just set up the big world of shooting Survivor. We're shooting 24 hours a day, every single day. So we have multiple cameras shooting the reality. That's what's happening at the tribe camp. We have all kinds of cameras shooting a challenge. We have lots of cameras shooting tribal councils. So when you return home, you have a lot of footage. Yeah, how much footage would you say? Glad you asked. Roughly, and this has been our ratio since season one, We'll come back for a, for a season with roughly 4,500 total hours of footage. So to give you some context, we will make 15 hours of Survivor. Wow. So you do, let me just do my Howard Stern, a little carry the one, go over here. <laughs> That's 300 hours of footage for every one hour of television. Wow. So somewhere in all that footage is the story of that season. And where it begins is we shoot everything, and then the next phase is you turn it over to our post-production team. Britt, you know this world very well. Give us an overview of the crew, the the, the yeah. people we have in post. Yeah, so we have you know, a, a post team that essentially takes all that footage, that 4,500 hours you speak of, and organizes it all for then our editors to come in, which we have 20 editors that work for it's us. Crazy. So we have you know challenge editors, which just work on editing challenges, same with tribal editors. Then we have swing editors that come in and kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, we even have a next time on editor who just focuses on That's why they're so the good. next time on. <laughs> yeah. Then we have finishing editors who are responsible for overseeing all those editors in one episode. And then we have our online editor, Dean, who, you know, puts all the finishing touches to make it look beautiful. So we have a lot of people out there working on it. And also him. part of this is Michael Dobbins, who's our music supervisor. Right. And then everything is over, overseen by John Hurd, who runs our post. So right. it's an entire separate mm. group of people. And the big picture that they're dealing with is, what is the season-long story arc? The who, what, when, where, why of season 44. That's the highs, the lows, the twists, the turns, and ultimately the resolution, who wins this season. And then within that, you have the individual episodes. 
So the job of the editors and the producers is ultimately to decide what is the best way to tell the story of our 18 players? What's the most interesting or entertaining or surprising or emotional or comedic? You can take a variety of approaches, which Dave is going to talk about today, but the one thing is it must be authentic. It must accurately represent what happened. And the reason I make such a statement about this is we don't manufacture moments. If we show you something, that is what happened. Right. And that, that's what's tricky about a show like Survivors. You have 18 players and each of them experience the show through their own lens. Yep. And while every lens is accurate in terms of how it felt to these players, not every lens is always accurate in terms of what actually happened. And I would say that is at the heart of what frustrates a player on Survivor mm. is they see the edited episode and they're like, but you didn't tell my version of the story. And they're not wrong. For instance, every right. tribal council... There's somebody who thought something was going to happen, but it didn't happen. And sometimes those people end up playing an idol when they don't need to. But the point is they thought they needed to, because as you said, Brittany, through their lens, they thought they were in trouble. What they didn't know is all the information proved they weren't actually in trouble. And that's the difference. So you, you have the facts of a scene, mm -hmm. but then you have to decide what entry point or what point of view do we give it? I'm going to give you an analogy. I'm going to attempt an analogy. Oh, oh yes. really? <laughs> this is how I sort of think of editing. Imagine that you're skiing, you're in the Swiss Alps, and you, you got your iPhone and you take this beautiful panoramic photograph, and it's an amazing scene that's playing out in front of your eyes. On one side of the mountains, you see this skier, and she's carving the mountain with a beautiful blue sky behind her. On the other side of the mountain, an avalanche is starting to happen. And in the center of your photo is an amazing eagle soaring above it all. Now you get home and you want to put this picture on your mantle, but you have a frame that's only so big. So you have to crop this photo and you can only have one of these three images. They all happen, but you're going to decide what's the most representative in terms of what I experienced in that moment and the facts of what happened. Well, if the avalanche, say, turns into be a tragic disaster, then most likely that's what you're going to put in the frame. The eagle was still flying. The, the girl was still skiing. But your point of view is I'm going to put the avalanche. Huh. I like that. <laughs> yeah? So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do. Well, those are the decisions that an editor is making in the editing base. Which part of the story is most representative to that particular moment in this particular episode and the overall season long story arc. Yeah. Kind of like what we just talked about, you know, when in the return from tribal in episode eight, after tribal council, all kinds of things happen. We come back to camp, they get the fire going, there's this conversation, that conversation. But in this case, the avalanche was the fallout, you Perfect. know, Brandon Kane excited and Franny heartbroken and alone. And the, the, the one key thing is that no matter what point of view we take, the facts of what happened never change. It's just the lens through which we view it. And that impacts the way the audience ultimately experiences the overall story. So, okay, I'm ready to get into this. Let's welcome one of our amazing editors. And we have a lot of great editors, but I mean, we got to talk about Dave Armstrong. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> so D Dave, welcome to On Fire with Jeff Probst. Thank you. On behalf of everybody in posts, all the people working there worked so hard. Thanks for giving us a voice. And I'm really excited to be here. Can you fun. give a brief background? How did you get into editing? Uh, okay. Uh, brief. I'll, I'll try to keep it 
editorially short. Um, <laughs> I come from a family of engineers, and I, it's the last thing I wanted to be. So I was just like, I want to be in entertainment. I want to do something fun, whatever. And so after college, I got into radio, and I was a on morning, air. On, on air. Oh, yeah, so this I, is bringing you back. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's traumatic. <laughs> um, so I, I was into I was into radio, and I did like morning show top forty. Come on, everybody! Uh, <laughs> you need one of those for yes, this podcast. So we might have that. to bring you back. You do not. You do not. And uh, that after that, I came to LA. I, this is in Pennsylvania. And then I came to LA and I, I was always a drummer and I was like, I'm going to be a rock drummer. So I came out here and I actually got into a band. We got a record deal. We were on wow. with like Weird Al Yankovic and Keanu Reeves and Tool. So that was great. <laughs> and uh, that was whole of 97 and it flamed out as fast as it would start. But Did I remember, you write any songs we would have ever heard of? We did a song called Claire Dane's Poster. It was on K-Rock. It was, oh, we were on MTV. I gotta look this up. Yeah, we were big in the Philippines. So we had a moderate bit of success. And then as it flamed out, I was like, well, we did, we did our video and I loved uh, all the uh, production ah. stuff. And I remember speaking with the director. I was like, this is cool. I want to do this. It's really interesting that on air, which is storytelling, how do I grab my audience on a top 40 show? Mm -hmm. Musician is how do I get my audience to feel what it is I want them to feel? Mm. Those are really, it, you were heading this way one way or another yeah. into storytelling. Kind of, yeah. I was mm. always into computers and I started working for um, a commercial house and I did commercials and music videos as an assistant, just worked my way up. Then did about 30 shows before I landed at Survivor. Oh, wow. Yeah, so a bunch of bigger, smaller, different kinds of things. And then I started on Survivor. And Fortunately for us. Yeah, seriously. And fortunately for me, I love it. It's yeah. the best. All right, so let's set up what you've prepared today because mm -hmm. you put a lot of time into this, which we appreciate. And, I, and we, we hope it's going to illustrate how important it is the decisions that are made in an edit bay in terms of how the audience experiences something. So what did you set up? All right, I brought three versions of the same scene that aired season 44, episode two, where Carolyn finds the key to the birdcage, goes in there, mm -hmm. pulls it out, races back, realizes she has the bag and she should put it back because the tribe hasn't seen yet. They come back to discover the bag is empty and they start accusing each other. And it's a really fun scene of like filled with twists and turns. So Andy Castor, one of our other amazing editors, mm. cut this scene. You did not cut this scene, mm -hmm. but... Can you walk us through from an editor's standpoint? You say twist and turns, but that's mm -hmm. that's what are those? What does that mean to you when you're looking at how you structure the scene and which facts you decide to keep in, and from whose point of view you decide to shine the spotlight on? Right. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a, a chef with a great meal. You can kind of make it any way you want. And so this scene, it had all these twists and turns, and. Andy chose to kind of take us through like the positive and negative, like this positive, I've got a key, negative, oh my God, I'm panicking, the, the positive, I got it, the negative, oh my God, I forgot to put the bag back, positive, I got the idol, negative, now the tribe's coming back right. and they're going to blame me. And that's what we look for is like, how do we take you through these twists and turns? So what I'm really picking up on is if you were writing this as a story, you wouldn't say, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. You, you're saying this happened, but as a result, this other thing happened. Correct. But then this happens, and then you could keep going, but this happens, and right. therefore, boom, this happens. And that's what makes effective storytelling and makes our show so compelling to watch. So should we play the original scene? Yeah. So we have a baseline? Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, so before we do it, just let's just keep on theme here with the facts. Because to Dave's point, 
you could use any number of these facts in any particular order. They're the same facts. It's what journey are you going to take the audience on? So these are the facts. The rest of the tribe is away. Carolyn's alone at camp. She finds the key. She opens the cage. She gets the idol. You can already see the butts mm. happening here. Mm -hmm. She goes back to camp and realizes, oh my gosh, in my excitement, I forgot to lock the cage. There's another positive negative. She races back to close the cage. The tribe returns. Then the tribe notices the bag is different. Something has changed. Who did it? Who's the suspect? So those are all the facts. So let's play that scene. And Dave, you, you can talk over it and point out where something is changing or something Andy has done. Okay, yeah. I'll let you know where the turns are. All right, here we go. There's your funny music. Am quirky music. It's Carolyn. Yes, I am. I was questioning myself. Should I do it now? Should I not do it now? Should I do it now? Like I was battling in my head. Don't, 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 don't. Like, do, do, do. And then I just started like... The music definitely had a point of view there. Right. Mm -hmm. Now we go into frantic I'm mode. So so scared of I'm on a mission. I'm getting whatever the heck is in that bag. Now she's scared, so it went from so positive to negative. We That's a turn. Any second. Finally. I reached into that cage and I grabbed that bag and I put it in my pants, shoved it down, and I ran. Another positive. Mm-hmm. And the music's ramping up. Then we ring out so we can kind of take a breath with her, settle in what just happened. So overwhelmed. And then I thought, I love this because you're seeing the positive and the negative. She got the idol, but now she's made a mistake. She didn't cover up the crime. The cage is open. Here's another turn. And we're on the edge of our seats watching this. This is how you do it. Carolyn's awesome. To get this bag back, and she's and so I fun to watch. She's making back. all these quirky, she's so much characters flying off her, and we're with her. Yeah. I'm panicked for her. Oh, yeah, I'm riding the Carolyn roller coaster, and I like am shaking. And I she says she can hear them coming. Then we cut to a shot of them walking back, kind of intercuts. The two trains sort of coming together. Are they gonna hit? Okay, I think we can get out there, mm -hmm. but Dave, that's a really great example. And I work in this industry and I love how simply you put it, that just watching the but, 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 the positive, negative, the turning points is why that scene works. Yeah. I mean, I was riding shotgun with Carolyn and experiencing everything she was feeling. You know, I was excited for her, then I'm terrified for her. Then, then you're you know. exhilarated when, when yeah. she gets away, but then you're terrified again when the tribe says, wait a minute. Who did this? Something, yeah. <laughs> is she going to get yeah. caught? Okay, so as a contrast, you took the same scene, but you changed it. And I think you changed the impact quite a bit by eliminating some of the key beats. You made it more straightforward. And you also got rid of all the great music cues we just talked about. And you put one cue in. Why did you do that? Well, I wanted to take out all the turns so you could hear the difference between here's and, 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 ah. therefore... And then the way we did it was plus minus, but, 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 therefore, just to hear the difference in storytelling, the same result will happen, but the way we get there uh, is much worse. This is a scene Andy would not have ever cut. <laughs> yes. I don't think so. <laughs> okay, here we go. So far it works. Yeah, it's okay. It's dramatic. I'm going to have to be sneaky with this. But it's very different That's because so, we've lost so the point of view. We're not Carolyn's point of view now. This is just a sort of dramatic cue, more generic. You've ta I've taken it out. I Any reached quirks. into that cage and I grabbed that bag and I put it in my pants. 
and I put that bag back. I took that lock. Ooh, and then what happened? <laughs> and I got away. Oh, way less dramatic. Right. It worked. Hooray. It was easy. So you eliminated the aftermath, the downside of her almost getting caught. Right. And now this is more of a hero. I'm, I'm, look at what I did. Yeah, it's no plus minus. It's all plus, plus, plus. So I don't plus. know what I'm going to do with it, but it makes me happy. Oh, and she ended happy. What I noticed just while it's fresh in my head is that scene still works in terms of we saw somebody go do something heroic and risky and they got away with it. Mm -hmm. It does work. And mm -hmm. if we saw that in Survivor, we might just say, okay, it's not anywhere close to as compelling or revealing of character or dramatic situation as the first one that Andy cut. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. your point in this is that execution matters in the edit bays, not just in terms of telling the story, but how we impact what the audience feels. Mm -hmm. Right. And what is interesting and what's entertaining and what's fun to watch even just sometimes. Uh, the twists and turns are kind of what makes the most effective storytelling. I mean, you're losing the entire personality of Carolyn and it's so clear to see like, if you hadn't edited the show in the way that made sense for the story, we might not get to know Carolyn in the way that we know her now and how impactful that is. Right. I feel like I came out of that first one, like the original one, almost exhausted because I felt huh. all those things with Carolyn. I was happy. I was sad. And then I came out of this one just being like, yeah, good for you, Carolyn. But it's like, very <laughs> passive yeah. versus the other one engaged me. Like you said, you rode shotgun. You were mm -hmm. exhilarated and terrified five seconds later. Yeah, and the second one is just like watching a sports blowout. All right, so for the third version of this, I love this idea. You took, again, the exact same facts, but you told it from a whodunit point of view. The scene's going to open where the tribe is coming back from looking for the key, but we don't know if anybody's found the key. We don't know if anybody's found the idol. We're as clueless as they are. So we've seen nothing about Carolyn talking about, I found it, none of that. Nothing, we know nothing. So this is a whodunit. It's a whodunit. It's a All right, Jay, and let's talk over it again. Instantly intrigued. Yeah, now we have mysterious music. It's a different tone setter. And what we're seeing is they're, they're walking back now to the cage. Yep. I thought that we would have found something. And they're just kind of chit-chatting, no. and then we reveal that the bag has been altered in the cage. Then they notice it. But like, look, I mean, like, that is open. And so now what's interesting is we're inside the players' heads. Mm -hmm. Who did it? We know like one of them was did not it. Open yeah. Like that. It's just... Right. This is fun it, for me there, as a viewer sitting at home. There, I'm wringing my hands like, oh, this is fun. It's and so you're fun. looking at their faces to see if anybody's giving anything away. Absolutely. You can play along. Play along with Carson, who's been studying this stuff. And you're posing a great question. I don't know. Now I'm getting nervous. What happened? The little pouch that's in the birdcage looks like the drawstrings have been opened. Did someone get the advantage and then hang up the bag, lock the lock, and, you know, it looks like nothing's been touched. That's crazy. So we, we ring out a little bit. That ring out is just for us to absorb it as they're absorbing it. You hear the string swell come in. We're going to drive you out of the it's act. It's been messed with. It's been, it's messed, been with. messed with. Hear the music changing. Right then and there, I'm like, this is the time that someone's going to be trying to be deceptive. But I don't know if it's one of us. This is great. It's not me. Someone, Someone has to have me. This is I like, know. here oh we God. go. What an episode we're about to have. That was great. And then the next beat would be, when do we decide to tell the audience 
it was Carolyn. Right. Right. Exactly. Three versions of the same scene, the exact same facts. It's just a different way of presenting them. Mm-hmm. All right. Just to bring this all home, I've always, and tell me if this makes sense to you, Dave, I've always described our editing process as really just a version of writing, mm-hmm. just in a different way. In this sense, if you compare Survivor to a movie, well, in terms of like a script, we create the world of the story. They're abandoned on an island. We cast the actors, which in this case will be the players who are playing the game. We even create specific situations. Here's a twist, or you must vote somebody out. But instead of the script telling the players what to say or do, they write their own script. They say and do whatever they want. And then our job is to come in and write, in other words, tell their story. Does that line up? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's how we present it to you. And I think you did a great job today of showing us three different ways you could do one simple scene from one giant season-long story. Oh, good. I'll go for my teacher credential (laughs) as soon as possible. You should. You know, it kind of goes back, Brittany, to Mm. the premiere that you produced. Oh, yes. That was Dave. That was Dave. Dave was the Carolyn idea. Oh, yeah. The very first scene. Yeah. It was just Carolyn sitting with the producer. Where did that idea come from? That was you. Right. I'd say as an editor it's being given the freedom to try stuff and that's what survivor's been so great with for me and for everybody is like we've all gained confidence in trying things because of the freedom we've had to try stuff and it doesn't always work dave that's exactly what we say we're trying to say to the survivor fan who's into survivor so much they're listening to this podcast (laughs) we don't think our ideas are right They're just ideas, but the only way you find new ground, the only way you discover starting a show with Carolyn or doing the scene Andy cut is by trying it. Mm -hmm. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. And we, at this podcast, just tried showing you video clips with no video, and I think it might have worked. But I have some questions about editing that I'd love to get to for Dave. Great. Let's do it. We'll take a break. We'll come back. This time, questions are all about editing? They're all about editing. All right. We'll be right back. This is On Fire with Jeff Probst. Great job, Dave. All right, welcome back to On Fire with Jeff Probst. We have Dave Armstrong, one of our esteemed editors, who's going to stick around and answer some editing questions. All right, Jay, what do you got? As a reminder, if you have questions for us, you can write us at survivorshoutout at cbs.com. I will read those questions. I might even read them here, like this one. How does the editing team remain unbiased while knowing how the ultimate story unfolds? From Rod. You know why I like this question? Because we don't, we have not talked about this yet, that we're more like a documentary than anything else. So th- our job, even on the beaches, is to stay out of the way. When Brittany's out there, she's not interfering with reality. She's observing. She's taking notes. This happened. I saw Carolyn go get the key. The tribe came back. But so the bias part, at least for me, Dave, doesn't ever really factor in. Mm-mm. No, same here. I mean, it's... uh. Just authentic and entertaining is kind of what we're going for. And uh, I appreciate every cast member. You you can't be good at this if you don't love them. And we love each and every person. And my job is just to give everybody their moment and tell the story as authentically as possible. Right. And to to further what he's saying, I think that when you tell the most entertaining and authentic story, that just naturally eliminates all bias. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's why the show's been on the air for so long. Mm-hmm. I think people can see that. I think it's the blue shirts. All right, Jay, what else you got? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an orange hat guy. All right, question number two. Who's in charge of picking the music? That one's from Michael. Well, we are. Pretty much we've been given the freedom there to try 
anything to see if it works. And we have a vast library of probably over 12,000 music cues. These are our cues. These are written for Survivor. We have our main composer, David Vanacore, who's been with the show forever. And James Burnett and his team are actually writing music cues. And we have Michael Dobbins, who's our music supervisor. And sometimes we'll even score. Like if Armstrong sees a scene and he's like, we need to score this. Mm -hmm. Then we can bring Vanacor in and write original new music. Oh yeah, yeah, we've done that as well. I think it's it's kind of all hands on deck. We'll do anything to make it the best possible. I'd say we have um, some all the music cues. They've given us stems, and what a stem would be is like just the percussion track, just the strings, or just like vocals. And we can actually weave and create sort of cues through those stems and make up our own kind of music cue that kind of helps the scene and uh it'd be like van halen and he just heard eddie playing his guitar that would be the stem from ain't talking about love <laughs> that'd be cool Let's big try van that. halen guy jeff preps all right here's question number three how long is tribal council without editing from when they walk in to when they walk out i imagine them sitting there for hours from steven well, you know, you two pipe in. I can tell you from my vantage point, they're, mm. a, they're about an hour. Yeah. In the past, they were longer. I don't think I was as good at my job then. Not saying I'm great now. I'm just saying I'm better. <laughs> but we, we know what, walking into a tribal, we know what we think is going to happen. So that is the information I would have, is that it looks like Dave is going to be voted out and Brittany's going to turn on him. Sorry, Dave. That's nice. But as you've seen in the recent years, that's only a possibility. And often when you get to tribal, something happens. And now you have a live tribal. And suddenly Brittany and Dave are talking about turning on Jay and that might happen. So yeah. tribal Feels like that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Jay. <laughs> tribal in the last several years has become less about needing to be prepared for what you think is going to happen and being prepared for what might happen. And that's really how I walk into tribal, looking at a group of people thinking, I only know one thing for sure. <laughs> one of these people will not be going back to camp. That's going to happen. But then will it be a but? <laughs> the plus or the minus. No, you're right. It's, yeah. He's exactly right. One person will not go back to camp. And when the group goes back, there will be a but. We're back to Franny being upset and Kane and Brandon. Oh, nice job. See, this is why Armstrong's <laughs> in the editing base. He brought it exactly. all home. Okay, time for everybody's favorite segment. I don't know if that's true at all, but I know it's not mine. <laughs> this is why you suck. This is why you all right, Britt. Okay, here we go. This is a long one, so buckle up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Over the last several years, the target audience of Survivor has shifted from being for the fans to being for yourself, Jeff Probst. Wow. You are too focused on forcing a satisfying ending that you want, which comes at the expense of drama and entertainment. Is that right? Mm. <laughs> Let me go ahead and say that the shift from final two to final three oh. is the absolute worst thing that has ever happened to the show. And I'm not the only fan who feels that way. And no, I haven't forgotten about Edge of Extinction or the Hourglass. Whoa. I get that you think it leads to better winners and more unpredictable finishes. He's still going here, by the way. <laughs> but in practice, it doesn't really work that way. The last truly oh edge of your seat finale <laughs> was Wendell versus Dom in Ghost Island. And before that, you'd have to go all the way back to Nicaragua 15 seasons earlier. And one last little tidbit that I like. I'll be <laughs> honest, as critical as I've been of you and your decisions over the years, the podcast is super insightful and the most I've liked you in years. <laughs> Anthony. Wow. 
Okay. Well, Dave, yeah. I do this every week. I Somebody... wrote that, by the way. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. First of all, I'm going to say something. I have realized during this podcast that I couldn't have done this segment when I started, meaning people telling me how I suck. I could never do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I used to take stuff really personally. And I, if anything, over the years, I've matured at least a little enough that I can actually now accept the fact that there's always stuff I could be better at. And people think I don't listen to their criticisms. I do. I have to digest it. It's sometimes personal. But I hear his point, and I don't think he's wrong. I think it's a really wise observation that, yes, on some level, I am making Survivor for me in the same way that Dave is making it for him and Matt Van Wagen and her Brittany. So in that sense, yeah, it's true. But I will say that my version of the show for me is seen through the eyes of kids, so that is my point of view. And everybody knows that works with me. I say, imagine a seven-year-old at home imagining they're the one making fire. They're the one who found an idol. So when I meet a Survivor family on the street and they say, our kids love the show, the first thing I say is, so how do you think you'd do in the jungle? Do you think you could sleep with rats crawling all over you when the rain's coming down? And they always say, yes, I know I could. That's the adventure that we're putting into their head. I am a bit confused by him saying that I'm forcing a satisfying result at the expense of entertainment. To me, that feels like the same thing. A satisfying ending is entertaining, but maybe he means, because he mentioned Edge of Extinction, is that I'm forcing new ideas and they're getting in the way of the entertainment. That's just an opinion. And he's not wrong in the same way that I'm not wrong for wanting to do it. And I'm just going to take a guess that Anthony, if I asked him, you designed the next season of Survivor, would probably come at it from the less is more, which is a common criticism. Get too many idols, too many advantages, get rid of the twist, get, go to final two, get rid of fire making. And in that vein, next week, that's what we're going to cover on our feature topic, controversial twists. So we'll attempt to answer all those questions, Anthony, on the next episode of On Fire with Jeff Probst. Dave Armstrong, thank you for being in here. That was a really interesting episode of On Fire with Jeff Probst. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. All new episodes of Survivor, Wednesdays at 8, 7 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We're having a lot of fun making it. Please be sure to rate and review it if you can, because it helps spread the word. See you next week. 